You're listening to the Slow Ride podcast. Bites, advice, and rumors straight from the source. The Slow Ride and on Twitter at the Slow Ride Pod. All right, hello and welcome to the Slow Ride Podcast, a, a Tim-free edition. How does oh, it feel? Feels good. Yeah, it only took us 60 episodes to get here, <laughs> but uh, we've done it. We finally made it, and uh, we're ready to yep. roll. Yeah, yep, we're another we're another Tim-free week. Tim is in Scotland. Um, Looking into a <laughs> into the locks, looking for Nessie. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, Nessie. He did. He did send a dispatch in to let us know uh, and tell everyone that he did see a fat biker with a kilt. Ugh. Well, that's just just so just uh, disturbing. That's, that is the Scotland update, and um, yeah, that's what I know. How are you? I I'm pretty good. Uh, Boston is treating me well. Um, Spencer Howe here in Boston. Uh, Tim, as you heard, was in Scotland. And uh, little guy Matt. Minneapolis. Yep, Minneapolis joining me uh, as always co-hosting the episode this week. Uh, So we're going to have kind of a uh, truncated episode this week. Um, We won't take full advantage of Tim not being here uh, this week, unfortunately for us. I know, um, but uh, but we will have uh, a second part of the show with some uh, some interviews, some some reports from the field, uh, rumors, straight um, from the source. Yep, straight from the source, uh, just like uh, just like just the tagline. We say, yep. So we're finally living up to that, <laughs> which should be pretty exciting uh, for once. We're gonna live. We're gonna live up to that name. Yeah, like self dis- self description. <laughs> Only took us sixty episodes. Uh, yeah. So. Um, that should be exciting, um, and then we'll get into some highlight uh, kind of uh, greatest hits. Um, so yeah. that's how we'll wrap the thing up. Uh, should be fun, and uh, yeah. you know we're getting we must be getting old if we're putting out a greatest hits oh. podcast, and then a little later in the year we're doing a live one. You know, when the band oh. starts really, you know, like your favorite <laughs> band, they like three four records in, they put out like a little greatest hits, and you're like, ooh, oh. they're running out of material, and then they put out a live album, and eventually we're gonna do that here. Uh. Um, Kind of like Rush. <laughs> yeah, we're turning it into Rush. Oh no! Uh, our next, our next show will be a concept show. We'll come uh, up with a theme completely outside of cycling and sort of loop it all back in, yeah. uh, make no. it a deep concept. Yeah, not like we do now. But until then, uh, we had three things, right? We're going to talk about tonight. Yep. First, yeah, uh, Wiggins. Yep, Our Wiggins. Uh, that was big news. You know, we uh, we hit the Giro and um, nothing to talk about. <laughs> yeah, nothing to yep. talk about after the Giro. So uh, and then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, uh, Wiggins. You know, apparently just uh, no, willy nobody nilly, knew he's going to do this. Yeah, just willy nilly decided to do an hour record and uh, yeah. So a- as Wiggins is wont to do, he just sort of uh, pulls his stuff out of thin air. Um, nobody saw it coming, and uh, you know, just. Uh, Decides to ride his bike really hard for an hour and uh, and totally dominates the the previous record that was set like a, a what a week ago beat it by like a k and a half yeah a little over yeah that's so. with thick air too yeah so exactly the air was quite thick quite thick Nighty. thick thick <laughs> thick with shame <laughs> um, 
Well, you know, Dowsett, who knows? Maybe Dowsett will have another go, but he he definitely I, uh, put a big chunk of time into him. He would have yeah. lapped him, I believe. Oh, really? That can't. I heard from somewhere that he would have probably lapped him on the wow. track, which is kind of crazy to think that the fastest hour record time would have lapped mm-hmm. the second fastest guy. That's crazy. That's nuts. Yeah. Um. Yeah, fifty-four point five. So, Wiggins absolutely smashes yeah, so. the previous yeah. record, destroys it, um, and that had been set about a week before by Alex Dowsett, who smashed the record uh, that was set maybe a week before that um, by uh, by Rohan Denis, who smashed Jens Voigt's record from yeah. the week previous. So we've had just kind of this uh, week after week kind of uh, shifting of the hour. Yeah. And uh, so now, now the question is: Is Chris Boardman really the greatest of all time? Does the posi- is the position really that different? I don't know. Yeah, I I would like to see somebody get really nerdy and tell me what the arrow advantage of the Superman is compared <laughs> to the current position. Because it's it's not like the Superman supposedly two arrow. Right. And we're in this sort of in-between, between the old right. record where you had to use, you know, regular drop bars and you couldn't get super aero, and now you've mm-hmm. got a pursuit bike and you've mm-hmm. got all that aero stuff, but you don't have the crazy aero position right. and of days of old. Yeah, how I kind of want to know what the difference is. Like, maybe right. it's not even really a difference. Maybe we're fooling ourselves into thinking <laughs> that. And maybe well, Boardman really is just, was just faster. What's amazing is that the position he was in, like, he just looks uncomfortable. God, it looks... He should have gotten a special prize not just for breaking the hour record, but for being able to just be in that position for an hour. Because Wiggins, uh-huh. in comparison, if you look at a picture of Wiggins compared to the being in that old Superman or Praying Mantis position that those guys, him and Obrey, did it in. Yeah. Um, yeah. God, it looks like it looks just like laying on the couch. Yeah. In comparison. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> well, what do you think? Uh, I guess the only thing next is when just Tony Martin. Give it a go. Maybe Dowsett tries again, but Tony Martin, I think, is what we're all hoping for. Well, I think if Tony Martin's a smart man, he uh, he won't try it at all. I mean, uh, <laughs> the worst thing you can do um, is, I think, maybe is not break the record. Because, you know, who's that guy who tried and didn't do it? You know, I don't even remember his name. Decker, and what's his name? Yeah, right. We don't even remember his name. I remember Decker, but I don't remember the other guy, and he's actually still got a pro contract, which is exactly. Crazy. I think I felt sad. I felt more saddened that Decker didn't get it because he came like really close, and then he didn't, and then he just retired <laughs> in shame. And that just felt like, man, that's that's like this has got to be tough to train that much and then be like, well, nobody likes me. Well, the thing about Decker is he kind of went at it little guy style, all willy nilly. You know, his his times were all up sometimes, down yeah. sometimes. Well, it was probably dependent on what the soundtrack was. Yeah, Wasn't everyone true. making fun of other dudes' soundtrack? <laughs> I don't remember what his hits were. I I was at a wedding last weekend, uh-huh. this last weekend, and there was a lot of music played um, the, at the beach party <laughs> okay. that I'd never heard. I'm surprised. I'm a pretty hip, dude. I'm, I'm shocked. But I'd never heard any of this music. And um, <laughs> I, some, but some of those songs I think were Katy Perry songs, and they were pretty. <laughs> There's some fast beats. I would be good, good hour record music. Let me okay. Tell you. I think All I just right. put on a Car- Katy Perry album. Sure. Maybe maybe this needs to be the next project. We uh, we get a little little guys slow ride podcast uh, Spotify playlist and uh, and see what you put on for your hour <laughs> attempt. We should. We. Should. 
We should get that together. Uh, it'll yeah. be some super deep dance cuts because I am hip when it comes to the club music. Uh huh. Yep. Some what rush. all the kids are into in the club. Yeah, we'll get some Katy Perry and some Rush on there. It'll be awesome. Yeah, there's <laughs> probably some pretty upbeat Rush that would be good. Anyway, Maybe. yeah, we'll work on that. I'll work on that in my free time. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, what? Yeah. What say? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So. The other big news uh, that happened at uh, Wiggins' uh, hour attempt there, um, which kind of overshadowed uh, or put maybe an ominous little dark cloud over uh, his happy, sunshiny day, was the presence of Johan Brunil at the event. It is weird. Did he just come he, on his own? Yeah. Was he invited? I mean, What's I the deal? I don't know. What have you heard? I, I thought okay. he was just there. So what I heard, uh, well, if you ask Johan Brunil... Um, he says, well, I just, uh, I just bought a ticket and uh, walked in like everybody else. Okay. And, um, I guess he can do that. Right. Exactly. As, as he is wont to do. But, uh, if you look at the photos, he's in the VIP box with a certain Pat McQuaid. Oh, so, <laughs> is he? Yeah. <laughs> a little strange. Oh God. Those guys are, are really... That's pretty next level. It's like yeah, James Bond villain style. It is like James Bond villain ridiculous. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, just <sighs> no fucks given. Especially right after this FIFA stuff. Like, that's crazy. It's because there's no money. There's like, why would why would the feds even well, investigate? What are you yeah, going to get? 20 bucks? <laughs> you shake him down for 20 bucks? Yeah. Wow, I didn't uh, know he's with McQuaid. That's yeah. cool. So, yeah. Well... But yeah, according to Brunel, he's just another guy who spent 200 British pounds on a ticket. Oh, well, it's good to know. So, yeah. Good to know that all of the um, lying and cheating meant that he still has the money to travel yeah. and well, buy tickets yeah. to expensive events. Well, there's that. That's uh, and, uh, hang out with other rich guys that lied and cheated a lot. That's mm-hmm. cool. Yeah. Took uh, bribes and all that business. Yeah. On a bright note, Indran was there. Yeah. Well, that's true. Another... We've never heard if he's cheated. Well, <laughs> he, yeah. he seems he's, he's he's got a spotless record. Yeah, definitely, definitely no real major spots on that record. Uh, yeah, and Merckx was there, Indurain's there. Uh, you know, the whole everybody came out, so that's that was pretty cool. That's what I liked about the event is uh, it seemed like everybody came out, even if they were bad seeds, yeah. uh, like uh, like Brunel. So. Uh, you gotta take the good with the bad, I guess. Um, and we had a pretty rad cycling party, and uh, yeah, it was Wiggins's day. So kudos to him. Yeah, it's been a while since we've seen Big Mick. Well, it's cool. It's cool that in the light of he he's someone who's also won the tour, and uh-huh. yep. it's it's cool to see somebody totally excelling in all these disciplines. Whether in all these a lot of these other guys, not that they're not good riders and they're not versatile riders, but that right. they're time trial specialists. And Wiggins right. can time. Time trial. He taught him, got himself a climb. He tried to go for Roubaix. It's cool to see somebody being able to like move around within cycling and focus on different things and bring that to the sport rather than just specializing. Mm-hmm. Uh, just like Brunil. Like <laughs> yeah, he was a great rider. You know, <laughs> really brought a lot to the sport. Yeah. <laughs> well, Andy was he was he was a a boring rider. And then yep. he was, but a good one. He finished top ten at the tour, and then he uh, was a sleazy director. Yeah, right? he's kind of like the slumlord of cycling <laughs> to some extent, you know. <laughs> he though, that you know, interesting. He he 
won that stage that I think is still the fastest tour stage ever where Indrin broke away at oh, the end. Really? And uh, uh. Bruniel just jumped on him and then didn't take a pull, and then he sprinted around Indrin at the end and uh, won the stage. So I think Bruniel, if I'm not mistaken, yeah, st- didn't take any pulls. <laughs> I mean, I, and I know Indrin was Indrin, and, like, of course. no one could beat him in that time, but, like, still, Bruniel was a guy who'd finished four or five spots below him in the GC uh-huh. jumps away with him late in the race can't take a pull and then wins the stage and then it's like oh thank you for the fastest tour stage ever nice. you did all the work classy guy that um, so yeah class act um, <laughs> it's hard to know how we feel about yeah, Johan well, Bernal when we talk about him yeah he's been that way since the beginning I guess I don't know well should we just segue straight from that to uh, doping news well, we got this whole Kruziger case I, to talk about. I don't see how the connection there between doping <laughs> and this, but um, uh, yeah, we can jump so into yeah, it. The UCI dropped their biopassport case against just, Roman Kruziger just after a year plus. Like dropped it like it fell out of their briefcase and fell into the sewer drain somewhere and can't be well, found. They, they said <laughs> that they... Um, found new information has come to light so okay. maybe they dropped their briefcase and then uh some papers fell out that they'd forgot to look at that said mm. oh no you don't have a case <laughs> and then they went oh crap um yeah it's kind of a mystery i haven't seen maybe it's gonna come out soon or did they drop their briefcase and pick up the briefcase next to it that happened to be oh, full of baby. money that's true it <laughs> seems shady it could or be. A, level of confidence but it doesn't bode well mm. for the passport in the future yeah well i mean it could be could be either way with the uci you know they're equal parts incompetence and shadiness so you know really six of one half dozen of the other yeah it is and it's it's sad because if there are any if we were hopefully we could have believed in the past that the passport was a way to actually catch dopers yeah. um and people that were manipulating it but at this point if they lost the case to such a high-profile rider and had to withdraw it after this long, I yeah. f- feel like it's going to freak them out to go forward with the case again. Because yeah, like they we'll see why why when it comes out, but it definitely doesn't bode well. You know, he's been he's maintained his innocence all along. Yeah, yeah, it's like most have as most do. Yeah, but it certainly looks weird if they they got really far and then it got thrown out, and they've always been maintaining. You know, the UCI's been maintaining they've got him. Um, and there's some bad stuff in there, and then it just gets thrown out. Yeah, it doesn't sure look doesn't, good for them. Doesn't look good for their case building. I don't know. Yeah. Safe to say, the whole thing is very strange. It's very strange because, yeah, he's a high-profile writer, and if they're going to bring a case, it seemed like they would only go with a pretty right like slam dunk of a case. A CSI on this thing, you they know, screwed it up. Like... off the back of the rim. It bounced all the way to half court. <laughs> and, oh, no, Kruziger picked it up. He's going to score. Um, oh. I, I'm kind of wondering, so since he got this case against him, he hasn't been riding as well. Right? Which like, makes me wonder if maybe he got a little scared and he, he put the hot sauce down a little bit. Maybe. I was expecting. Think he's going to start riding well again? Because expecting... he didn't do a good Giro. Yeah. No, and even before that, I thought he was going to have a much better uh, Ardennes season than he had. Yeah, and a former Amstel winner. Right? Yeah, he uh, he was just nowhere to be seen. He wasn't well. He wasn't at the front of the race as I kind of expected him to but be. Tour de France coming up. Maybe he'll be like two years ago where maybe. he was, you know, a couple places. He was like fifth or something at the end. I mean, he wasn't far off the podium and he's working for Contador. Right. And um, I mean, yeah, we will see. Yeah, we'll see. We've got contadors you know maybe he's plan b maybe he's the 
the uh, arrow in the quiver that nobody is expecting for the tour. Um, oh yeah, it's tour time. Yeah, so we we've, we've got the tour coming up. Uh, that's what we're gonna get excited about now. Um, you know, we've already gotten letters and stuff about it to the slow ride, so we're gonna get into that next week. Um, um, yeah, well, next week we'll have we can do a wrap up of the Dauphine yep. Libre. We'll have that. We'll know where a whole bunch of the tour contenders are. Exactly, in, yeah. In their form, who's been uh, sandbagging, <laughs> who's actually in form, who's in form too early, and who right. the French will pin their hopes on hopelessly. And as we all know, the best thing about the Dauphiné is that it is the perfect predictor for the Tour de France. Anybody that's placing well there is uh, definitely not, yeah, they're peaking too early. They're not going to be informed for the Tour. Anybody who's off the back is going to be off the back of the Tour. But whoever finishes right about 16th place, they should be bang yeah. on form uh, for the tour. Who, who in your Cracker Jack <laughs> research team, who finished 16th last year? Well, I don't know that kind of information. <laughs> like, I don't... Because you know it wasn't the Bali. <laughs> well, no, but... Um, you know, whoever finishes about 16th place uh, should have a very good tour. And this year, I'm thinking uh, it should be uh, Thibaut Pino, if my uh, so? research is correct. Uh, I predicted him earlier this year Ooh. to win the tour, so I kind of have to stick by it since he's a French guy. <laughs> and I kind of have to pick a French guy. So, yeah, I, th I think he's going to do it. Yeah. Um, um, well, all right. I think that's probably a good place to end it on a French note. Yeah. Well, um, Usually is. Well, and in this segment of it, and now we'll go um, to our Cracker Jack research team in uh -huh. the field uh -huh. Yeah. Uh, w with a hot interview. But I'm saying goodbye to this point, so Okay. Goodbye. Well, goodbye, little guy. We're going to get into our interview uh, segment here, and we'll, uh, we'll just talk about you behind your back then. <laughs> okay. Do All that. Right. Bye -bye. Bye -bye. Bye -bye. Bye -bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. This is Ryan. <laughs> this is Ryan. <laughs> This is Ryan Woodall, Florida's first cyclocross national champion. You're listening to the Slow Ride Podcast. All right, so we are here with special guests this week uh, doing a, a mini report. Um, we have Adam Meyerson in the studio. Uh, he was just at uh, at Philly, um, one of the you know most storied races in uh, in in the U.S. Anyway. Um, so we're gonna we're gonna ask him about it. See uh, see what went down. See how it was. It was a women's World Cup this year, um, which is pretty cool. hasn't been hasn't been a World Cup uh, in the U.S. for what 15 years or something. Yeah, I was gonna say I think it's been 15 years. Yeah. So how was that? Uh, how was it uh, not being the the stars of the show, so to speak? Yeah, it, I mean it was all right, other than having to get up at five in the morning, which is a little bit exceptional. And uh, probably haven't had I'm, to do that since you were a cat five. I know, right? I mean, that's why I'm out of Cat 5. You see the training. <laughs> get up at the crack of dawn. And, I mean, Amy Cutler tried to give me some flack about, like, oh, welcome to the club, or this is how it is. But uh -huh. it's like, man, we don't want you to have to do that either. Like, we don't think a women's <laughs> chef get that early. Like, we wouldn't wish that on anybody. Um, yeah, it's just – it's tough because I think they have to be – even the women's race started early, like, compared to, say, Winston-Salem, um, you know, where the men's race – was even a little bit longer and didn't start until 3.30. Um, so the women were first there, uh, but I don't think they got up at 5 a.m. Um, so I think at Philly they have to be off the roads. The women's race was scheduled to end at like 
Yeah. Um, you know, and I think at Winston we were racing until six or seven o'clock. Um, so yeah, the early start was a bummer, but the, although I will say like the positive part of that, it, it was, it was cool. It was much cooler. The temperatures were reasonable race temps. So, and I was home by 9 PM, uh, on Sunday night after racing Philly, which is, you know, which home is pretty unbelievable. Home in Boston. Yeah. yeah. Not home from the race <laughs> back home in Boston. I went, I was in my bed Sunday night. Yeah. Uh, after Philly, which which was exceptional. So, no, I honestly I only wish for us like logistically that we like I couldn't really spectate the women's race. Um, yeah. Okay. In my in my own self interested um, approach, when the women were before us, I could actually watch some of it. We could watch the end of it because we'd be do- kind of done getting ready and they'd be finishing. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know we got to see them start, but you know we have to get all the vehicles out of there and go back to our own host housing and shower and everything. And you know you just you're not going to go back down there. So um, I didn't actually get to watch any of it. I went back and watched the finish of it later. But yeah, I mean my you talked about like the history of you start kind of talking about the importance of Philly, and so yeah. for me coming up and watching Philly, like it was a women's World Cup. You know when I first started racing it, and. Uh, so for me, Philly is like the Petra Rosner period of the women's race, and and her, I think she some, she wanted something like five times in a row. She was unbeatable on that course. Um, so, you know, in just yeah, growing up, uh, uh, Philly was you know Philly was the biggest race there was. So even though we have Tour of California and all the medalist races and such now, I think if you're my age or from my generation, Philly will always have. Uh, this exaggerated sentimental importance it's it's philly mm-hmm. you know yeah. there's just it's a monument yeah, an american I, I've, I've never raced it but i've got i've got the same kind of feeling you know like oh philly's you know it happens this weekend it you know uh it's super important it's iconic you know you got the the whole the whole thing you know the kelly drive the lemon hill the, and then of course the whole wall um and i did want to ask i guess uh you know having raced it I don't know what eleven times I think you said. Um, yeah, eleven times. Yeah, over the past thirteen years. How's the uh, how does the uh, the finish line change affect everything? Uh, finishing on the hill as opposed to uh, at the circle. Yeah, well, it's it's two major changes, or maybe even three. So the finish line is moved. The course itself is shorter. Um, we don't when we come off of Lemon Hill, we don't turn left and go to Logan Circle and finish. Um, on on I think it's I think it's like Avenue of the Americas or, or the, the road over there has a different name in front of the art museum um, that old finish so that whole section is gone which makes the course itself shorter there's less flat riding um, and which makes each hill more significant and the race is much shorter um, you know I did Philly nine times when it was 156 miles yeah. um, so obviously a much different race when it's 100 or 110 miles and yeah so we still we went up the wall nine times. You know, when it's 156 miles on the longer course, we still only went up the hill. We only went up the wall ten times. Yeah. But uh, but so having the finish. Does it still just yeah, boil but... down to the last two laps, like it kind of always did, or? No, no, it's, it's different, huh? Yeah, when it was when it was longer lap and 156 miles, it had a very strict script that was very rarely deviated from. Um, we raced for a couple of laps until the early move was gone. It didn't always go on the wall, but it usually did. And it still 
usually does, but not always. It's just a matter of a group gets there's a split on the wall that doesn't get chased back, mm-hmm. and that and that move can have four guys or it can have thirty guys. Um, and I've seen both scenarios. But with a 156 mile race, once it's gone, then you spend the middle three hours eating and talking and waiting. And then some pro tour team like CSC or High Road would would start riding tempo and bring the brake back. Yeah. And and so the really the hardest part of the race was always the last two times up the wall. You could you could sort of sag climb, you know, the first eight times, but laps nine and ten, um, and guys would be coming off all day, but laps nine and ten were always tough. And lap ten, the last time up the wall, is where the splits would not come back together again. So if you were gonna make the front group you had to make the front group on the wall because it then everybody raced all the way to the finish from there. Sure. Now now it plays out like like a normal road race where Strawberry Hill is more important than it used to be and, and even Lemon Hill is a, is a place that people can attack from. Um, and the early move, we raced harder. The race doesn't let up. It stays on the whole time. Um, we raced harder until the early move went. Smart Stop missed the early move and immediately started chasing it, but they didn't. They weren't sort of setting a long tempo to bring it back gradually. They were. They wanted it back right away. Yeah, either either to br- send a guy across or to bring it back right away and start again. They did a very hard chase with like all their guys, um, and and split the race up pretty good. Made it actually uh, pretty hard. Uh, there were there were guys who were definitely coming off when that chase was going on and. Um, they didn't quite hit the reset button, but they did eventually get guys across to the move. Yeah, there was it was a kind of a dynamic race. I watched most of it on the live feed, which was awesome to have. Um, and it didn't play out at all how you know I thought it would, but I'm no expert. Um, uh, were you guys, uh, you know, you guys being the the pro domestic field in general, were you caught off guard by uh, by how it played out by? Um, you know the the Spanish team kind of taking the win with uh, Carlos Barbero. Uh, um, no, well we on Estella's we weren't because we discussed like traditional scenarios, but then we also discussed the fact that we talked in our in our pre-race meeting we talked about not getting paralyzed by traditional scenarios because it's not the same race anymore, and and that we thought that there might be other teams who might get stuck in that rut of okay this is how philly normally goes and i wanted to make sure my guys didn't make that mistake so you know for us we still were putting a lot of emphasis on having a guy in the early move and we knew that that was crucial um you know so when a 30 rider split goes away we only had one guy in that move we were fortunate um to have a guy in that move um Cortland made it for us, and, and that was a, a good ride uh, for him uh, to be up there. He, in a sense, he sort of saved the day for us by being up there. Um, Cortland Brown, um, you know, and eventually we did manage to get um, uh, Brex Don up there as well. Um, so we were we were happy about that. But then the whole thing came back together. So no, we were we weren't surprised that the move came back early. Um, we knew it would split. Um, and you know we we weren't we were prepared for a field sprint, but we weren't counting on it. Yeah, were you kind of expecting uh, some of the optims and smart stops and stuff to kind of mark each other out of the race and take advantage of that, or what? What's the strategy going in? Just hang on for dear life. No, we I think we knew it was going to be an aggressive race, and we knew that 
there would potentially always be someone unhappy with the move um, and it would stay hard until the right combo went away or until everybody was too screwed to do anything about it and that's pretty much what happened I don't think everybody was happy with the final selection certainly we weren't um, yeah. but at that point in the race in the last two laps not everybody's able to fix their mistakes or do anything about it and so those final moves you know you just have to have a guy who's strong enough to to make the split and then um how how was it uh <laughs> how was it for uh the young guys on estella to uh to ride with the the most popular cyclist in america um you know he was in attendance um <laughs> uh, i thought you were i thought you were talking about me <laughs> <laughs> who says i wasn't oh <laughs> uh, yeah maybe you were um well uh, you don't have you to know, answer that <laughs> let's well, let's talk about how we. You know, we did have young guys on our team uh-huh. who were having their first Philly experience, and it actually was quite notable. Um, you know, we were missing Jake Sittler to injury and Matt Green to injury. Jake Jake crashed out of the out of the front group at Winston Salem and broke his collarbone. Oh, yeah, and then that's right. Matt Green, who's the road squad captain, uh, was hit by a car in Pennsylvania during the week and has a fractured femur and broke his pelvis and you know he's going to be out for three months and, and in all seriousness we're, we're happy matt's alive um it was yeah. he was uh coming down a hill and a car coming up the hill turned left in front of him um on a straight road and uh completely unexpected so it's pretty pretty bad for him so it really hurt not to have those guys um matt was had been coming back from illness and injury and was riding really strong at Winston and was really helpful to the team there and and so you could see he was back on track and Jake is is just such a phenomenal talent um yeah I don't think he really even understands how good he is and at Winston he just when the race was hard and other guys were pinned he just could do whatever he want he he attacked and started breakaways he rode across the breakaways he was leading the KOM when he crashed out of the breakaway he had been winning the KOMs up until that point so we really worked we we needed him at philly we thought he was going to do something so that created an opportunity for um uh for other guys on the team um you know we had to fill that spot but we have a young um a young british guy 19 year old named dan gardner who man he's he's probably the most popular guy on the team everybody on the team loves him uh just to think about how how long guys dream in their career about getting into a race like Philly and here he is a 19 year old neo pro and and he got a chance to race and he rode great he's so good he's so talented and he loves cycling so much and he's such a good student of the sport um he really carried his own and and you know he got to the finish line um and you just get to the finish line he was you know riding in the front of the group late in the race when the group is back together he's he's there for his teammates and um He's just—he's—he's he's another real promising guy, and I was just thinking about it, you know, in the days after the race, you know, to be 19 years old and have finished Philly, yeah, it's pretty exceptional. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I didn't even hear about Philly being a thing until I was like 27, so that's—I mean—that's pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> he's ahead of the curve. It's true. <laughs> nice. Well, that's cool. Um, and then they're all up at Boast now. They're up at Boast. The whole that whole group of guys went straight from Philly to Boast. So yeah. I'm looking. See how uh, nice. how they do this week up in Canada. That's exciting. Um, so one question I, I got to get out uh, uh, since we are now into June, mid June. Um, 
got to settle uh, a Twitter argument uh, here once and for all. Are you in mid-June? Are you thinking about cyclocross yet? Yeah, but but only administratively, you know, um, because there's every year things just get moved up earlier and earlier and earlier. Like ECI schedule is is out, although you know we finalized that in December. But you know, people are already want to know when they can sign up for camp. Kind humans already, um, you know, bikes are getting ready to get sent out. Um, you know, and I have so many phone calls to make about like, you know, I have to talk to sponsors and get all the equipment stuff lined up that I should have already done. So, it, you know, it basically doesn't ever stop. Um, so when you say camp, you're talking about the, the Cycle Smart uh, weekend um, camp that you that you do? Yeah. Yeah. It's the 7th through the 9th of August. And, um, you know, we used to wait till the tour was over before we started planning crops. <laughs> and then we bumped it up to like, Oh, it's January. It's June one. Tour's about to start. So, or July. Yeah, July one. Um, tour's about to start. We gotta, we gotta get organized. And now it's, oh, cross is over. We gotta plan for next year's cross season. You know, it's just it's a twelve month cycle now. That's, that's amazing. Um, so that's cool. So kind humans back on. Sounds like they're supporting everything, and uh, and you're getting the camps set up. So yeah, you got a lot going on. <laughs> it's yeah. still- Still well, I had an email bikes. with CJ even. Well, we're, you know, we, we are planning the racing schedule too. CJ and I sent some emails back and forth about, you know, what the schedule is going to be this fall. And, you know, obviously, babies do first week of October, which is Providence weekend. And I don't really feel like I'm in a position to plan too much for a little while after that. And sure, I yeah. think personally, you know, this cross season is going to be kind of icing on the retirement cake. You know, I'm still going to do the best I can. And, try to be as fit as I can but I don't you know maybe I don't sleep for the whole month of October I just <laughs> what's I never had a baby before I, I had little sisters but no baby you know so uh-huh. it's not the same <laughs> nice uh so are you capping it off then um with the the mayor's cup in Boston is that the plan or yeah I'll race um I'll race the Hartford crit uh, the day after on Sunday because that's the last NCC race officially. Okay. So that that will that will be technically be my last race, but I'm certainly treating Boston crit on Saturday as my as my retirement race and my farewell race. And we're trying to put the plans together for a for a retirement event, like a benefit event for Bikes Not Bombs. That's sort of like a a party and like speakers and you know like um, yeah. A, it's my funeral. I'm, I'm, I'm going to put it as my funeral. Nice. It's basically like a funeral. I'll order some flowers for you. That'll yeah. yeah. Say, some ni- say some nice things about me. Uh-huh. Pretend I'm dead. Uh-huh. <laughs> nice. Well, that sounds good. Um, cool. Well, thanks for the update on that. Uh, we're going we're gonna to get into the rest of the show here, but uh, we appreciate you taking some time out of your very busy schedule and uh, soon to be baby filled schedule um, to uh, to give us uh, some updates it was awesome yeah thanks for having me right. hey this is Mo Bruno Roy and you're listening to the Slow Ride Podcast Welcome back to the Slow Ride Podcast, where we have uh, unfortunately run out of stuff to talk about this week. So uh, 
without Tim here to interrupt us, uh, we actually got done pretty quick. So what we're going to do is hit you with a few um, classic uh, bits from the first 60 episodes. Just a couple of here to, uh, to flush out the uh, regular time slot and uh, hopefully enjoy it. Alright, so now we got to go on to what I think is going to be our, uh, our fan favorite. One good question. This is where every week we rotate who gets to ask the question and we have to come up with an answer. And little guy, you get to go first. Or no, we'll have Spencer go first here. <clears throat> the question I came up with is that we've always talked about bike racing and we've started teams together and we've always had this like imaginary list where we would could get millions of dollars from different, you know, sponsors and then put together a pro tour team or my dream of just getting a boat and going up and down the Mississippi River and just dominating on the, the team barge. So the question is if you could have one company Is that is that really a dream of yours to dominate up and down the Mississippi River with I mean, a team? Oh, dude, we, could, we there's a there's quite a few races in. Is there a lot of prize money involved? In, there's you know, a like, lot. In that racing area, like. What? All right. I All mean, right. I don't. Sweet I not, I don't want to. I don't want to snuff out your dreams, but I'm just saying, you yeah. know. I hear you. Well, I think. Can, hey, on on a tangent to that, if I had a million dollars, could I throw a crit on an aircraft carrier? Is it big enough? I don't think it is. It's not big enough. No. Damn. Okay, back to the drawing board. Go on, well, what's, what's the question of the week? This so the is our bread and butter here, this podcast. The question of the week, if you could have one company that could give you unlimited budget so that you could be both, you know, a regional team or if you could be a pro tour team guaranteed entry to the Tour de France but you had to wear that company as your identity, what company would you want to run that budget? Like, who, who would you seek out? And Spencer, who, who, who would, how would you answer that question? Un- unlimited budget. One company as my main sponsor. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm, I'm not messing around with uh, regional teams or anything. I'm going straight to the top because I want to be I want to be in the tour. I want to I don't care if I win or not. I just want to be there um, showing off for this sponsor. <clears throat> and so I'm thinking the best way to get a bunch of publicity is by having amazing kits and by having, you know, some of the peripherals like uh, uh, amazing team cars, follow cars, stuff like stuff that's going to get, you know, photographed and people excited. So with that uh, line of, of thinking, I'm going to go with Oscar Meyer. Oh, <laughs> what's your team bus? <laughs> because imagine the team bus for one, the Wienermobile. Yeah. Yep. Imagine the team cars, mini Wienermobiles. Yeah. And the kits, you know. A little brown on the sides, a little little pink stripe in the middle. <laughs> Wait, would, would it have yellow and then just say Oscar Mayer around the pink pink helmets? You know, complete mm. the wiener look. That it's, is disgusting. It's it's going to be amazing. It's going to be unbelievable. And you know, we would I think would get them a lot of viral action uh, for their media hits or whatever. I don't know what people want that sponsor cycling teams because. A lot of sponsors just don't seem to make sense. I don't understand it. Uh, that is but that's great. my choice, Oscar uh, Mayer. I like it, right. and, and, and then I'll let little guy uh, follow up. But I, I like it because, you know, instantly you could have the Wienermobile in the, in the, as the team bus so everyone yeah. would know it showed up. Yeah, because imagine, imagine when the Wienermobile gets stuck under the finishing arch at stage one of the tour. <laughs> <laughs> but how is the mechanic going to – where imagine the the... is the mechanic going to hang out of to adjust the rear brake? Well, no, but little guy, Dude, that's mini- the team bus. He's got the mini wieners. Oh, oh, oh. But that's the okay, problem. A smaller, no, a smaller imagine, wiener. imagine all the jokes around the finishing arch and the wiener 
it's endless. It's endless. Well, it's a media I, bonanza. Well, so here's so here's the follow-up though. Could the mini wiener cars that are in the caravan even be allowed, or would they be too high and they'd always have to be at the back of the caravan? Well, you know, they wouldn't be. I mean, they can be like Skodas, you know, like whatever, but they got to be painted like wieners. So they can be regular cars. That's fine. I think this I'm is just good. saying. Well, there's a lot of likes here. I don't know if it reaches the target market of, you know, processed lunch meat um, crowd. But then again, mm-hmm. Agritubal oh. is, you know, yeah. they make uh, industrial tubing for farms. But I yeah. think that the... I'm thinking, I'm thinking the Europeans in general don't eat enough processed shitty meats, you know? Well, that's true. And, you know, the Jelly Belly team hangs out little bags of jelly beans. Yes. So you guys could be hand throwing out just bologna. Just, mm. just, just vacuum sealed bologna. Slices yeah. of bologna. Or lunch. These, these folks have been standing on the Alpe d'Huez for weeks. Like, they're drunk. They need something in their bellies. They don't care what it is. Oscar Myers there for comes by. Yeah. yeah. All right, little guy. Um, what, do you, what do you think of this little guy? And then tell us how you'd answer this question. <laughs> uh, I, you know, I, I, I think they'd be better off getting sponsored by, like, Sport Bananas or something. A company with more market, more market in the cycling industry, so they can just have a big banana boat following them at races. But um, I would, I would also go with the transportation theme in a way that I would, I would want, and I just, I don't care. They can just sponsor me, me or one other guy. But if I could get sponsored by Go Westy and just get the use of like a a, a nice synchro with with uh, you know the pop top and. Uh, just wear some sweet Go Westy kits, drive around and uh, off-road it all across races, like right into the middle of the field and show everybody how cool the Synchro is. So is the and, Westy, um, is that like a Westphalia? Yeah. Oh, okay. So, so so you're taking it back to the 80s here with the... Well, with, I want to get sponsored by Go Westy so that they can give me now a refurbished... So you can fix my van. They can well no I don't even want your van I want a, I oh. want a synchro with a pop top, and then I, I'm just thinking that I I'll wear a Go Westy kit, and everywhere Ooh. I go everyone will say what's a West what the hell are you and I'll explain them how cool vans are, and so, then I mean, that's, even, that's kind of what you do that's kind of what you do already. Like people no, that's are not what like, I do now. What the hell are you doing now? What now you... see if I if I was with Go Westy I drive somewhere in a van that's working in every way. Because they've made it awesome. Because they make awesome vans again. And yeah. now what I do is I drive somewhere, and someone says, "Why were you on the side of the road back there?" And I say, "Oh, just a small coolant leak. It happens all the time." <laughs> this would be completely happen. different. This is like this would be, you know, talking about the quality of the product as opposed to the and, you know, the intricacies again, of uh, maintenance. For those not familiar with the van, the the synchro is the four wheel drive kind of super yeah. badass ATM version of, of a regular van exactly. again, which is already pretty badass. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. So okay. All right. little, little guy, you're not even going to pro tour level. You're like, I just no, want I'm to just... show up at a regional crit in the West. Yeah. All right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You, you, you're going to show up all the guys who spent 60 grand on a sprinter. And you're going to show oh, yeah. up with a, with a van again from 1986. Yeah. And it's going to be way more badass and versatile. Yeah, of course. Okay, that's and, it. So, yeah, I, mean, I, I like that. At the basic owner. level, their engines are in the wrong place. So I mean, already that's, won that battle. That's true. So. All right. So I will take my uh, the finish here with the with the last answer. 
I my unlimited budget team. I've always wanted to have a team sponsored by the Pearson Nut Roll Company. Like the, you know, when you go into the convenience store and you get the Nut Roll candy bar. Very mm. delicious. And bar. I think a Pearson Nut Roll jersey, much like the Oscar Mayer Wiener, could just uh, really take over the Peloton because there's a couple of positives here. It brings back mm-hmm. the red kit that Seiko just wore beautifully. Um, you could just have a nut roll, like kind of an unwrap. You know how like Garmin used to have the Chipotle burrito sticking out of the rear pocket? Yeah. You could just have a nut roll coming out of the rear pocket. That would be pretty cool. Um, I think the nut roll could take over Europe. I mean, once you bite into that uh, candy bar, <laughs> it's, a un- it's an amazing experience. Now, I don't know if everybody has the ability to buy a Pearson's nut roll. They're not down here in uh, Florida, so if someone wants yeah. to uh, send one... They can, but the Pearson's Nut Roll is a, a place to be. Are you going to include a, an address, a mailing address in the link? Yeah, we are uh, willing to take Pearson Nut Roll donations um, to help this podcast uh, along, for sure. I mean, it's crunchy, it's salty, it's sweet and chewy, it's covered in nuts, and it's got a surprise inside. That is from the Pearson's Candy um, website. Oh, it, nice. It is amazing, and, you know, it's legendary. So I think that that... I think that there's three good teams that could be, or two pro tour so, teams and one so, regional team that could be pretty well here. Oh, so yeah, you're I, going pro tour level? Oh, hell yeah! Like, come on, they've got a crown on their logo. My first, my I, first I mean, uh, Pizzato gonna... would be my first signing. Pizzato. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Okay. He seems like a. You're gonna waste all your money right off the bat. I mean, that just. Oh, seems... but only God can judge him. Maybe he'll get the tattoo of the Pearsons on, you know, with his back. It'd be awesome. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, sounds, you know, I, sounds pretty good. I'd cheer for this team. I mean, I'd have to. They're they're local, you know, local pride. Uh, it I is mean, a Minnesota company, yeah. Well, and it's an amazing, like, also cyclist mid-ride snack because it's got all it's that super- high-quality protein mm-hmm. to get you through. Mm-hmm. It's a little salty. Um, yep. I just, yeah, it's it's too good. I don't, yeah. I don't know if they have that makes, rolls here in New same, England. I, I haven't looked. All right. Well, if, if you can look, take some pictures. Salted nut rolls um, would be good. All right, What's guys. What's the other thing they make, Timmy? What's that? They also make bitter honeys. Ah, there you go. Yeah. Yeah. Delicious yeah. as well. The Pearson Candy Factory, headquartered in St. Paul, I think that you know, I'm going to write up a uh, team proposal. Um, little Should. guy, you can uh, be the mechanic. <laughs> <laughs> really? All right. <laughs> Well, we won't, we won't want to be able to afford any, like, electronic shifting, so, you know. <laughs> Good. Thank God. I don't so, want any of that crap near me. Alrighty, guys. Uh, I think that that's pretty much going to wrap up the first ever edition of the... <laughs> I'm, I'm curious as to, you know, favorite bicycle moments, bicycling moments. So the question that, I, that I'm asking is, your, what is your one single moment, and you have to choose one, in which you were like, you know what? That is riding a bike for me. That is the coolest moment. That's what I'm going to tell my grandkids about. That is that is the best thing about bikes I've ever done. Just yeah. amazing. So that was, that's got to be it. I don't accept that. How? Why not? What do you think is my best moment? Well, I mean, there's several. Oh. But I don't understand how you can't mention the time when you won at the, the velodrome in Minnesota. There was a points race. And they used to do this thing where everybody in the crowd could write down the name of the winner. And then if, if that person won, 
then there was a chance for an individual to win a coupon to like Chipotle, like a $15 gift certificate. Yeah. And I remember you specifically, no <laughs> I remember you specifically winning and then your, your, you know, lovely um, wife was there and her mom and neither of them picked you and you won. <laughs> and then they're going through the list of like, all right, who picked the little guy? And there wasn't one. So you got the Chipotle gift certificate. That was pretty cool. It wasn't a points race. It was a, um, I think it was like a, a whatever the three lap sprint thing is, whatever the heck that is. So you that should have been wow. your that should have been your best ever. And there you have it. Thanks for joining us uh, for episode sixty here in the Slow Ride Podcast. Uh, we really appreciate you all tuning in. Um, you know, leaving reviews, send us emails, any advice, questions, anything uh, you think we should talk about, send it to the Slow Ride uh, Podcast at gmail.com. Um, thanks, of course, to BK1 from Ryan Sayers Entertainment for the use of his track, Tema de Cannibal, uh, off the album Radio de Cannibal. Uh, check it out if you haven't already. It's awesome. A bunch of Brazilian uh, music he dug up and remixed. Um, thanks to everybody who tweets about the show, tweets at us. Um, you make it worthwhile. <laughs> you keep it fun. Um, you keep us honest a little bit, um, or at least on our toes. Um, subscribe on iTunes if you haven't already. Um, really helps us out in the rankings. Uh, you know, that's something that we like to think is important. Um, anyways, uh, always remember uh, to wave uh, when you see your your fellow cyclists out on the road. Um, we're a small tribe. And uh, as always, we'll catch up with you at the next Cafe Stop. The Slow Ride Podcast. Bikes, advice, and rumors straight from the source. TheSlowRidePodcast.com and on Twitter at TheSlowRidePod.